Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. What is happening, my friend? Welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is Poker Supernova Landon Tice. This is an especially meaningful conversation to me because I've been fortunate enough to experience Landon's rising star from a pretty close distance. Back in March, which feels like two or three lifetimes ago, the Poker Detox crew had a company retreat in Atlanta where I got to hang out with Nick Howard and his crew for three or four days. When I rolled up to their Airbnb, none other than Landon Tice was the human who greeted me at the door while he was simultaneously playing online poker, of course. It took me all of about three seconds to appreciate Landon's passion for the game of poker and how laser-focused he was on becoming the best poker player he could possibly be. Although that was a mere nine months ago, what he's done since is nothing short of astonishing. Not only has he dominated some of the toughest cash games in the online and live worlds, but he's also had his first six-figure MTT score in November when he took down an $1,100 MSPT for a cool 201 k In today's conversation, you're going to learn how Landon has managed to progress his poker career at warp speed, a greatness bomb on the relationship between graphs and volume, how he's built up such an envious poker network for any aged human, much less a 21-year-old, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you my friend and one of the current and future stars of poker, Landon Tice. Landon, good yeah. afternoon, sir. How you doing? Good, how you doing? Doing very well. It's it's been a long time coming having you on this show, and I've been looking forward to it. And um, you're in Vegas right now, correct? Yeah, in Vegas for the for the time being. Is that a permanent thing? I'm um, kind of in some transitioning phase, I guess, for moving from Florida to Vegas. And like my mom's coming here for Thanksgiving, I'm going to go back home for Christmas, and then every couple months I'll be back and forth mostly through mostly in Vegas though just because most of the the things I can do at least poker wise I can do in Florida and, and Vegas in the same time but Vegas just has more options so it just makes more sense to be there yeah probably more fun too right I would imagine yeah yeah like I guess most of my other friends in college are still at college and not in the area I'm at now and all the people that I talk to here are like a 15 minute drive so it works out really well how old are you let's let's start start there so that the listener has a you know a, a right frame of your age i'm 21 i started playing poker when i was like 19 ish so about for two years and i started like professionally playing i guess in the sense of not having other responsibilities besides like poker and the start of january of 2019 yeah so the question that I always start out with is the story of how you got involved playing cards. Your story is much shorter than the typical Chasing Poker Greatness guest, 
tell me, tell me about your life leading up to cards. And I, I really want to drill down and understand like why this game took such a strong hold over you. So when I was younger, I started in competitive environments. Like I played chess when I was like around pre-K to kindergarten, the first grade sort of years. And I was pretty successful at chess. Tell me about that because you're not the one making that decision. Your parents right. are, right? Like yeah. your, your mom and your dad, tell me about their impact on, you know, you being in competitive environments. So I guess when I was younger, my parents sort of saw... I guess I had some level of like intellect reading at a young age and a bunch of other things. And I guess I needed something to like stimulate my brain and like, I guess, make me think. And chess was one of those things. And I had a coaching session for chess when I was younger. And my coach at the time said I had the ability to be one of the best in in the US. And in a short amount of time, I was second in the country from pre-K to kindergarten to third grade. How long? So, How long did that take? I think it took me about six to eight months of playing chess. And granted, like skill level disparity and like being younger, like is not the greatest. But then again, like everyone's sort of in the same playing field, so to speak. But I guess I had a potential to be pretty strong in chess and I did pretty well at the start. And How did it, how did it make you feel like going back to that session that you could be one of the best in the U.S.? Like, how did you feel in that moment? So... I didn't hear it myself, but I guess my mom felt a pretty good, deep sense of like pride in some way. And my dad for sure figured that, yeah, like it makes sense that he'd be able to do do pretty well at this. And I was just really enjoying chess for what it was. And they told you, right? You were aware that this, they told me now, they they told me back then. Yeah. Okay. They told me like a month, like a couple months ago. Yeah. Cause like, I think it was probably better because I probably would have gotten my head in some way, but then maybe like, it would have been good in some ways because I would have stuck with the idea that, yeah, if I worked really hard, I'd be really good. And I wanted to be good for my own right in some ways, but I also didn't know what I was really aiming for besides just winning more chess matches and not feeling like, like, I guess winning chess matches led to playing more chess matches. And that's what I wanted to do instead of just like winning because I wanted to win against whoever I was playing against. And I also didn't like the feeling of losing at all. Why not? I guess I felt like I let my fam- my parents down in some way because they spent a lot of time helping me get better, helping me put in the time. And not that they didn't like feel like they felt for me when I lost because they, they knew how much I didn't want to, I want to lose. But I also felt for them, like I didn't want to lose because they spent so much time and energy to take me on trips to play chess, like across the, different states and different places in Florida when I first started that I just wanted to like make them proud and I wanted to make myself proud as well and do pretty well and and like winning like losing doesn't equate to doing well I guess is a good way to put it it's uh so I kind of lost my bearings there for a moment for the the chasing poker greatness listener because that's a question that I propose to my students a lot of the time when they tell me how much they hate losing I always want to know why. Why do you hate losing? Why is it an uncomfortable feeling? What is is your relationship with loss, right? I think that's something that a lot of folks go their entire lives without ever asking, like, why do I dislike losing? What does it mean 
Um, what's the root cause? So you, I could see the listener can't see, but I could see like the look of like confusion on your face as to like, <laughs> why, why do you hate losing? Right. Cause it's not a question that most people really invest a lot of energy, even considering it's just like a fact of life, right? Losing yeah. sucks and I hate it, but really, you know, it, it is important to, to kind of ask, why do we hate losing? What does it mean about ourselves? And like, is there a way to where we could get to a point to where maybe we don't hate losing? That doesn't mean that we're not competitive and that we're not going to try hard and we're not going to be competitors, but um, investigating that relationship with losing is, it's a worthwhile thing for, I think, pretty much any human being on the face of the planet. And, you know, you're moving, you're playing chess, right? How old were you when you stopped playing chess? I stopped playing competitively when I was around, I want to say nine or 10, because I got into playing golf at that time. And I took golf pretty serious. I just moved from chess to golf is basically what happened there. Why? I think there was one specific day when I was getting a chess lesson. And I saw my friends were outside. And I just wanted to play outside with my friends. And I wanted to play us run around like in the field and play football or whatever it is we were doing. And I wouldn't get to do that sometimes because I would have chess lessons after school. Because I was younger, it was like, okay, you go to school, you come back home, you have like an hour, and then you have chess for an hour, and then you can play outside until whatever t- until it gets dark, and then come home and I do whatever, get prepared for bed or whatever it is. And I just remember one day, like pretty significantly, that all my friends were playing a game outside that I wanted to play, but I was inside having a chess lesson, and I just wanted I wanted to go outside so I did that and then from there I sort of enjoyed spending time with friends and I guess I wanted something new in some capacity and I don't think it was a product of not liking chess anymore because I still did enjoy playing chess but it didn't it wasn't as fun as the alternative option of going outside I guess is a good answer to that. It's interesting to me knowing where you're going in your life and how we're going to come full circle back to playing a game that is totally inside and not outside. Yeah. Um, so you played golf, you went outside. Golf is a, went outside. you went outside. It's uh, a more physical game than chess, right? Yeah. But also the mental aspect to it as well. What was it about golf that you loved? You know, why golf instead of, you know, you mentioned football or baseball or any of the other sports. Yeah, so I started playing those sports after golf in some capacity for schools, and I would still play football as well. Like, I was playing football, like flag football, when I was around the same time as golf. Like, it'd be flag football and golf or basketball and golf. Like, I would play, like, a recreational sport and also do a bunch of golfing. And I think my dad enjoyed the game. And when I I, – I guess I just liked it because – my dad did, and I also found it really fun to be able to hit a ball relatively far and then kind of see where it goes. I guess it's something that kind of sticks out to me now. It's like, oh, like you can hit this ball, and it can go places, and then you get to walk to it. And I don't know why I found it so fun, but I, but I, <laughs> I did. And I enjoyed getting better, and I guess I had a pretty natural swing for the game, like just – like mechanics wise after a lot of work and like fundamental stuff and it kind of works out now too because 
a lot of people play poker also in the golf scene, which is nice. So I've kind of taken advantage of that while I can. But I'm not entirely sure why or how golf came up. But my dad really enjoyed watching golf all the time. I guess I watched golf sometimes on the TV on Sundays when he was just chill on the couch and watch a golf event that closes up on Sunday. And then I guess somehow I said, I want to try golfing. And I did. And then I had a bunch of coaching for that too. Like it's kind of just been everywhere for me and a lot of things of having a coach and having like some feedback. And from there I did pretty well in golf and I was third in the state. Let's not, let's not fast forward too quickly here. Let's I'm drilling down a little bit. Um, you mentioned your dad, your, your dad liked golf. Um, and let's be honest here. Every little boy's first hero is typically going to be their dad and seeking validation from your father is a big deal. And so if your dad enjoyed watching golf and golf mattered to him, it makes total sense that that's something that you may choose to pursue so that, you know, you could make him proud. And so you're playing golf. You're also playing a bunch of other sports. And I I assume this is facilitated by your parents, right? So like, were you growing up uh, affluent? Was this something that they were paying for? Like this coaching, chess coaching, golf coaching, like what was your home life like? Um, As far as I can remember, like at the time of doing things of that nature, like golf, like I'm pretty sure my dad had a pretty successful restaurant at the time. And there was always, it wasn't always easy, I guess, but there was always enough time to like take me out golfing or do some nice things here and there. So childhood when up until I was like 10 was like pretty, I guess I've been pretty fortunate to have the opportunity to pursue things that most people don't get the chance just because of financial situations. Yeah. So your family's doing pretty well enough to to take care of you and enough to pay for your coaching and show you the value of coaching, which will play a part in your story down the line. So you you mentioned that you were the what first or second? uh, Uh, I was third for us kids. Third for U.S. kids. Yeah. And any serious thought into pursuing golf uh, beyond childhood? I had some at the time, but then football and basketball and having friends, like playing team sports with other people my age, was something that stuck out to me a little bit. Because chess is one of those things that you do by yourself, and then golf is another one of those things that in most cases you just you it's like your own kind of mental sport and i had a lot of fun playing recreational sports like football basketball which i was still relatively decent at and yeah like i just wanted to spend time with other kids my age i guess is it so you're seeking community you wanted yeah, to in some way wanted to have a community um you know there's so much that you can gain from playing team sports and being part of a team and so much you can learn about the human psyche. And yeah, I think all kids should play some type of team sport growing up. It's just beneficial in a number of ways. Um, so golf kind of fell to the wayside and then what, where, how old were you when golf kind of 
I was probably around 12-ish, like okay. 12, 13. And then I picked up golf in high school. Like, I played for high school golf. But, in like, in freshman year and uh, maybe, like, sophomore year. But it, as a competitive thing for me, kind of went away for that time being. And I spent more time playing football and basketball and spending time with friends outside of school. And Cool. So – yeah, at least from that time. Yeah. Yeah. So you're playing playing sports when you graduated uh, high school. My assumption is, like knowing your timeline, you hadn't found poker yet. Correct. So what was happening in your life when you graduated high school? What was your plan for college? What was the deal with your home life? Just describe all those things. Sure. So. First off, I guess after golf and then high school sort of came around, I was playing some sports like basketball was one of them. And then I also spent a lot of time playing video games in my room. Like I'd get home from school. I'd play video games from like 4, 4.35 p.m. to like 4 a.m. Like nothing was really new to me in that regard. And it's weird to kind of keep going back to things where I spent most of the time by myself. But with video games, like I had friends that I would, play with after school for multiple hours like I was just really focused on getting good at a video game like I was mostly playing like COD at the time and some that's basically it and I was just had a friend in high school that introduced me to it and I thought it was a lot of fun and I guess pretty mentally stimulating in some ways like quick reaction sort of things and I enjoyed that a lot and I spent a lot of time doing that has it always been about being the best that you could be in all of these endeavors? Has that always been at the forefront of your mind, a consideration, like how do I actively improve at this thing I'm doing? Yeah, it's always something that that I think about. It's not, not always something that I act upon. Like, I guess, and a good example is for video games. Like, I wanted to be pretty good, and I ended up getting relatively decent. Like, I played a lot of hours and this side or the other. But I never really thought about how to get better besides just playing more and there's better approaches to to things rather than just playing them like poker is a pretty good example of you can only get so good by just playing a bunch is a good way i guess to put it we're so bad (laughs) yeah yeah so um from i knew of poker from for my dad, like I just knew how the game works and I really had an interest in it and definitely not pursuing it professionally, but it was a lot of fun to, to play a card game. And I guess I realized at college when I was at Florida State, I was playing basketball in the gym a lot. So like basketball has kind of been like a thing in my life that I've had for a long time. I was just playing like in the gym there. They have like five on five games running, like just pick up basketball. And I had a friend from there say, hey, you play poker? And I said, yeah, I play poker. I know, I know how to play poker, I guess, is what I said. He's like, all right, there's a $20 buy-in at our friend's house. Feel free to, to play. And first got whatever, second got whatever, and third got paid, whatever it was. What, were, what was your path right then? Like, what were you in school for? Did you have an idea of, like, what you wanted to spend your time doing, any sort of future? So I was an exploratory major at Florida State, so I never really chose a major. And I was – kind of lost-ish like I finished high school with an IB diploma which isn't that particularly easy to do but I never really saw anything map out to a career at least when I left high school 
like when I was like eight or nine, like I wanted to be a doctor. And I guess that's because like my family told me I wanted to be a doctor. Like my mom was like, oh yeah, like you, you're smart. You're smart. Like doctors make a lot of money. Like you'll be fine if you want to be a doctor or whatever, whatever it is you want to be. And when I was in high school, I spent a lot of time in graphic design as well. And I thought that was something I might want to do. And I, I still haven't found poker at this point. So like, oh, graphic design is kind of cool. Like I would spend a lot of time in class, like on Photoshop, just like making like my own headers for Twitter and like just kind of messing around on the computer. And when I got to college and found poker, I had a pretty deep respect for the game in the sense of understanding that. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to that $20 tournament that you got yeah, invited, invited to. How, what was your, how did that feel? when playing this tournament, was that where you kind of got bit by the bug? Yeah, I think it was. And I ended up winning it, I guess, which helps in some ways. But at the end of the day, I, was, I had a really fun time just playing. And yeah, from, from that tournament, I felt like there was something there in the sense of if you put in a lot of work and if you just, I guess, think in a more rational way than other actors, I could do pretty well in the sense of like, if I know what hands to play, if I know how I think I want to play the game versus just like playing. What do you think I helped give the, you that sense? Um, I think winning the tournament helped and also playing against the people I was playing against would also help. No, 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 like previous life experience. Like what, was it chess that allows you to think strategically and si- kind of like just glimpse the potential strategy in this game of poker? I think I think it's probably chess and, and video games as well because like I would play like team like the team video games where it was like okay there's all the strategy that goes goes into that I guess same thing with golf and like a mental side of like understanding like what I want to do like how I envision things to be and chess for sure like I guess that's how chess works is like most of the time like there's less variance in chess like I didn't know what variance was at the time obviously but you can kind of tell like if you play against someone that's way better than you it's gonna be hard for you to win. And I guess that's what I felt about poker to some extent, where I didn't really understand much about, about variance. Like I knew like losing all ins was a thing, but I also still thought like if I played against people who I was, I guess, in my sense of the word, like smarter than like, I would do pretty well. And like, I always had this identity when I was younger, like, Oh, like I'm really smart and I can do a bunch of, a bunch of things. And where did that come from? I think it just came from like reinforcement from chess and golf and school like from my family, like, like I always got told, like I had the potential to do like whatever it is I wanted to do kind of idea. And I guess I found poker when I wanted to go like super into it. And then my family, the start was kind of like, yeah, nah, like, like find something else sort of thing. How and come? I think cause poker's was un- is unconventional. And I guess my mom was concerned for me in the sense of, like a public eye sort of thing. Like, oh, like here's, her son is a poker player kind of thing. Like there's no real, like it, it doesn't, I guess, look too appealing on the surface to people that don't understand what poker is like. And she worried for me in that sense. I don't think she necessarily worried that I would fail, but more about like the societal impact that it might put on me. Like when I would talk to other friends of mine and be like, oh yeah, like I'm playing poker professionally. But like, what does that even mean? kind of idea have you struggled at things like have have you you know i know that you had to have struggled and there had to be failures let's talk about some of your your early failures kind of leading up to poker sure um 
one of them was in golf when I guess certain like select number of people that win like qualifiers get to play in like this tournament called like at, at Pinehurst, which is like a pretty nice golf course in North Carolina. And I always tried to like qualify to get in, but I could never just, I couldn't, I couldn't get it done. So to speak, I was always in spots to win the qualifier. Like the people that won the qualifier got to play in this thing for us kids. And I always got like second or third and I just never really closed it out. And it's something that still kind of sticks with me sometimes. Yeah. How how does it make you feel? Kind of sucks to like not experience that for sure. At least when I was in the deep in the golf streets, but then again, like maybe it's a good thing. Cause like maybe instead of where I am now, like I'm still playing golf. Like maybe that's better in some ways. Like maybe it's not, not really worth, I guess thinking about too hard because that reality is not, not here, <laughs> but it definitely didn't feel good. Like coming so close to something that I really wanted to do, especially in, when I was taking golf extremely as seriously as I was and not being able to get there was really like unfortunate and like really sad about it. I kind of wanted to do that and it didn't end up happening, which kind of sucks. The reason that I ask is that I know that when a young child has a bunch of successes and is told by their parents that they are special, that they're capable of great things, sometimes resiliency can be hard to come by when you do fail at an endeavor because that is not something that you foresaw, right? Yeah. So it can be exceptionally painful. Um, so I just wanted to know, like, you know, your experiences dealing with the painful stuff, the loss, right? You said losing sucks. Um, and some losses hurt more than others. And I think that that's just kind of a fact of life. And leading up to your poker career, we both know, Poker is anything but a smooth ride. Um, It is a bumpy, up and down, swingy endeavor with lots of uh, opportunities for growth. And so you're in college. You get get bitten by the bug. And how long did it take you to realize that, yeah, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't really want to do graphic design. I'm going to do this poker thing regardless of what my friends think, regardless of what my mom, my dad, or anybody else in the world thinks. Um, I think it was a little bit after I found online poker, which was after this tournament thing. And finding online poker, I sort of realized, okay, like there's people, like I was basically playing two cent for a cent at the time. And I saw that the lobby had like 10, 20. And I saw that there were people playing 1020 and had like a decent amount of money. And I was like, yeah, it looks like there's people, if they're really good, like they make a lot of money. And I don't see like why I'm, I'm not capable of, of doing that. But I also knew that I would, it was going to be a lot, it was going to take a longer time if I tried to do it by myself. So I kind of found coaching pretty quickly and sort of realized from there, like if I work hard, and if I put in a lot of time and I think I'm smart enough to do this, poker could be something that works out for me. Okay, so you see there are people playing for thousands of dollars. That piques your interest being a high performer who has had success in multiple endeavors. And because of your experiences playing chess and playing golf, you understood the value of a coach. 
So what did finding a coach look like? And who was your first coach? I meant poker. Your first poker. Poker, poker. Uh, it was my friend, Steven. And uh, Steven was a 5'10", 10'20", online reg on, on global poker. And uh, he, I sort of knew him from video games. And I guess which was pretty lucky to begin with to not only find someone that was good at poker at that level, but also somehow willing to like give me an, enough time to help me when I was playing micros. And basically I didn't know him very well, but I knew he was in the video game scene. I played some video games with him and like we followed each other on Twitter. So I saw that he um, would post some links of hands like that he played on global and I was like, Oh, like that's, I guess he's playing for a decent amount of money. And I guess I'll ask him about it. And I was like, Oh, Hey, like, I think I want to learn poker. Is it okay if I send you some hands? And I don't know why, but he said, yeah, sure. No problem. And why do you think it is? Why do you think he said, yeah, no problem? I think we talked a little bit and I guess he saw how much I wanted to be good at poker. Yeah. And he saw how much I wanted to put in work and he saw it like my drive for it. And I guess he didn't know what he was getting into as well, because I guess he figured like every, every like once a week or something, I'll send a hand I thought was interesting. Like maybe he'll give me some advice. But like, as soon as he said yes, I would send him like 20 hands a day for the next two months kind of idea. I'd be like, oh, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And from there, like, he was like, okay, like, this is kind of insane. Like, you're sending a lot of stuff. And he was right. And from there, I sort of took poker seriously and stopped sending him things. But then he... Go see what that cat, what's that cat doing? Chauncey's just bored. Just bored? Yeah, he just he doesn't, know, he doesn't know what to do. But, um, yeah, so he basically just, he, like, I was playing 4 and L at the time, and he was like, okay, like, you could probably, like, not play 4 and L. Like, I've helped you a good bit now. I think you're good enough to beat, like, 10 cent, 20 cent. So I started playing 20 and L on stake with him and learning a lot, and I would send him a bunch of hands, and we'd go through hands that I've played. And I had a database um, from Global before, like, you weren't able to download hands. And I'd look through some of those and I would put in a lot of work and I'd play poker for like eight to 10 hours a day in my dorm room. So like I was just kind of in the poker scene at the time and I was really looking forward to seeing like what I could do. And this is while I was still in college. So like I started playing 20 and L, well, four and L in, co- in college, found coaching, played four and L for a little bit, moved up to 10 and L, then got staked for 20 and L. And then from there, I played like eight to 10 hours a day, put in a bunch of study, reviewing my own hands and him helping me like, I guess, learn. And from there, I sort of fell in love with the game and decided I wasn't going to go back to school. For tell, me, tell me about that moment. The moment when you decided that you're playing enough poker, you love doing it. You don't love school. Your path is now going to be poker. Yeah. Um, I think a good thing that helped me with that was looking at like an EV line. Honestly, like when I would like look at my graph and I'd be like, oh, like the graph, the graph goes up. And I was like, okay, if I play a bunch and the graph keeps going up, I think I can do pretty well. And I sort of kept that with me through my entire, I guess, little process of, of going through poker. And from that, I had a friend, I, well, I had a roommate in college who I kind of explained poker stuff to in the sense of, on like all on EV and like how the graph works and like how big blind per hundreds work. So like if you're winning small, but if you play a lot, you win a lot, so to speak. 
So from there, like I was just, I decided like, yeah, like I'm, I think I'm smart enough and I have enough help from my friend to sort of take some time off. And I kind of just like bargained with my mom and was like, okay, like give me a semester. And then like, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do in a semester. And then after this semester, we can reevaluate. And if I'm not doing well, if I'm not making money, if I'm not seeing some success, I'll go back to school. Like, that's fine. I'll go back to school. So my mom basically said, okay. And she gave me six months. And from there, I sort of played poker a lot at my house in Florida. I was in Boca instead of Tallahassee where Florida State was. And I grinded in my room for like 10 hours straight every day. Like nothing really changed from being in the dorm room versus being at college. But instead of being in college in like a dorm room that I really didn't enjoy, like a foamy mattress and stuff, like I was in my bed that I would sleep in all the time. And I was in my environment that I really enjoyed being in to some capacity because I was home a lot. Like I was home alone a lot because my mom obviously had work to do and I didn't have any responsibility besides playing online poker. So I didn't really leave the house and my mom didn't really come to the house I was staying at because she was with her boyfriend at the time and staying at his house. Like I was pretty isolated for a long time. When, when did your mom and dad get divorced? Because obviously that's a thing when that I was happened. Like 12. You were like, like 12. In like fifth grade. Yeah. Fifth grade. Okay. Like 10, 11. And then I guess it was like split time at that point. Yeah. I was mostly with my mom and then I was with my dad every so often, but still a lot around a good, a decent amount. But yeah, that happened um, right before middle school. Right before middle school. Yeah. Um, had to be pretty impactful on young Landon out there in the world. Uh, but you said something, by the way, that's a greatness bomb. And I just love, I love such simple and powerful framing that the more you play, the more your graph is just going to go up. And that is really amazing framing for poker players in general, understanding that if you're playing well, regardless of what happens on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, inevitably your graph will go up. And so to make that graph go up as high as it can possibly go, you have to play as much as you can possibly play, right? Yeah. So I think that's uh, you know that's a greatness bomb, super compelling framing and powerful and simple. So for the listener, take that with you, that when you have all the pieces in place and you know that you're a favorite in the game, the more you play, the more your graph goes up. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life. 
and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going. Right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress, and you're enjoying your experience a lot more. Not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the Master of Presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. So you're, you're battling, you're playing eight to 10 hours a day. I'm assuming that that six-month shot worked out fairly well. So this, for the six months, there was no real expectation, more of just like giving me a break from school and maybe figure out if poker is something I enjoy. And it was, which was nice. And then over the summer, my mom basically gave me some small like threshold be like, okay, if you win like 6K this summer playing online, like you don't have to go back the next semester. I guess she wanted to see that I could make enough money to sustain myself in some way. Sure. Because I guess she figured like from what she knew about poker in some ways that what, like if I could make like 3k a a month, like I would be fine and have like some money, so to speak, while still being young. And I was just kind of telling her like poker scales a lot differently than than, like normal things. Like just trust me on this. Like I'll be fine. Like I'm going to put in a lot of work and I'll play higher stakes and I'll make more money and I'll be okay. And she was like, okay, she wasn't happy about it, but I guess she gave me the benefit of the doubt. And over the summer, I ended up doing pretty well. I think I made about like four or 5K, so like enough to like make her be like, okay, like you don't have to go to school. But she was under the impression that I was going back to school for this next semester, which I decided not to do. And I decided to play more poker. How'd that go over? It went over well because I was making money. And I also was paying her rent at the time. So after the six months, I didn't have to pay rent. But the six months before the summer, I didn't have to pay my mom rent because she just kind of gave me the, the freedom to do what I wanted. And after that, she was like, okay, like, I'm not going to let you just do what you want if you're not making money because school sort of leads to a path where you can make some money. So I ended up paying her rent from then on, which was fine because I was able to do that. So she didn't really have anything to necessarily say about it, I guess. Because it's not like I wasn't able to to like fulfill the request that she asked of me. Yeah, you you need so, to be able to take care of yourself. You're going to yeah. be an adult. You got to do adult things, and that involves paying for rent. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah, yep. So from there, I um got from twenty and L to playing fifty and L, and then I was shot taking some one hundred, and I played like two hundred a couple times, but nothing insane. I mostly moved up from 20 now after playing 20 now for like eight months and then got to 50 now. So I was winning like four big blinds per hundred at 20 for like eight, eight months, so like a couple hundred thousand hands. And I asked my friend all the time, like, hey, when am I going to move up to 50? When am I going to move up to 50? And he kept telling me like, I don't, like in like as nice of a way as he could, which also made me feel shitty in some ways. He was like, He's like, you'll move up to 50 like when I think that you're kind of ready to. In the sense of he thought that there is a gap between the skill level of 20 now and 50 now. And I wasn't at that place yet of succeeding at 50. Is that true? Because it doesn't feel true. 
I think at the time it probably was because I played a lot of hours at 20L and my first shot ticket, like most, normally go pretty poorly. And I'd kind of fail the shot ticket 50 for a little bit. I remember I had one day in like April when like I lost like 1K in a day playing like mixing like 100 and 200 and L or whatever. And like I had a pretty rough day. And I just remember like thinking to myself, like, I, I'm pretty sure I could play 50. And I didn't think it was. I would like, I would shot take 50, like he would let me shot take it. But when I wanted to kind of move up consistently, like I would shot take and then like lose and shot take and then lose and shot take and then lose. How did it feel losing 1K the first time? It was, I like shut down completely. Like I literally shut down. I was like, I, I never didn't, I never wanted to take a break from poker for like more than like a day. But then like, I was also like not in like the greatest segmental like, state either from like being alone in my room all the time, being alone in the house by myself all the time. And I just sort of shut down. I was like, okay, like, I'm not going to do anything for like a week. But that only ended up lasting like two and a half days. Because like, I just sort of thought about not necessarily winning back the money, but sort of just getting back after and like taking another shot at it. Because like, I'd have to win like money at 20 now to then go back to playing 100. So like, I just grinded 20 a bunch, had like a show in the background and like six table 20 now. Um, and I guess... It's something I sort I sort that I took with me from that moment was if you like if I keep playing and like if things go bad like end of the day like the downswing goes away in the sense of like I'll play more like I'll win if I have a win rate I'm gonna I'm gonna win more money back and I'll get there eventually and I've kind of always had this perspective and it's always sort of worked out from like just playing smaller stakes when I needed needed to and like taking shot takes if they fail, just grind back the money and like always having that discipline to do that, I think is pretty important. And from there, I, um, it definitely didn't feel good. Like normally I always have like a super like hyped attitude about playing poker and getting after poker and studying and reviewing hands. And after that happened, I was like, I have no idea how I just like lost all these, all these buy-ins. Most of them as a product of coolers in some way, others being a product of like my own, like mental, like, leak of trying to like i guess not lose that much money so fast like playing a higher like a hyper aggressive style and trying to like win more of the pots i was playing for bigger amounts so to speak yeah and losing sucks right yeah losing losing sucks and it didn't feel it felt really really bad because it was like negative poker result compounded with negative environment didn't help at all and i was probably like in a pretty decent, like a pretty big state of depression at the time, just from not really seeing what was happening in the sense of I stopped caring about anything else other than poker. And I started just kind of getting into a mindset of, I need to play a lot. I need to play a lot. I need to get somewhere to not force my mom to like make me go back to school. And like, that's not the healthiest mentality to have at all. Oh, I remember I remember Landon from just earlier this year, right? Was that February that we It was March. It was March. March. Yeah. So right when the coronavirus was kind of taking hold in the United States. Um well it was it had already taken hold, but right yeah. when right when the United States started worrying about the coronavirus, uh you were a member of detox. And yeah. so going back to that that Landon that, you know, you were getting staked by your friend in a state of depression, spending a lot of time by yourself. When did you decide that, yo, I kind of want to go outside and start playing with some uh, some some kids again? 
It was probably, I kind of like after like, I guess having like a detox retreat was really helpful in the sense of just like- well, How'd you get there? How, how did you become a member of detox? What's that? Um, I played a bunch and I left steak with my friend just because I was sort of, I had like a pretty big, it was like a fault of both of us of him not being the greatest coach and me not being the greatest student in the sense of always thinking of what I know is right and always having like this ego perspective of like, I know what's going on here. Like, I don't think you do. And it just didn't really work out in that way. And we're still friends now. And like, he's playing five canal and like, I'm shot taking five canal. So it ended up working out. But back then, like we had a lot of like disparity between like the way he, his style and mine, but basically I played a bunch left stake from my friend, my friend, Steven, um, and then a different global poker reg started a stable in some capacity. And I joined that and I started playing 50 now and I started playing 50 now ignition. And in a couple of weeks, I got some pre-flop range stuff done. Basically it was like the start of it. And then because my post-flop was pretty solid, but pre-flop I was still kind of all over the place in some ways, like I was probably on the tighter side more than I should have been. And well, from let there, me, let me stop there because like one of the, one of the main things that courses that I run is preflop bootcamp. And the problem with preflop and improving preflop is that you rarely get direct feedback from your preflop play, right? Like unless you get all in pre you're not getting direct feedback. So like you can make a mistake early in the decision tree and it's not going to show up. Like you ask about the river decision, right? And then whoever is listening to this hand history is like, yo, fold pre. And you're like, yeah, you're a fucker, right? Like that's yeah. like, yeah, I know, I know, full pre, okay, whatever. But like, I, I'm worried about this river. But really, yeah. really, the wisdom is, yeah, just full pre. Like, have a better preflop strategy, and you never get yourself into this situation. Yeah, so I just want to, for the listener right now, say like, you don't get direct feedback preflop typically in cash games, but it is an exceptionally important part of the tree to understand because every single hand starts pre. Yeah, and I got a, I got some preflop help in some ways. Like I got monkey ranges, and I sort of studied those a bunch. And from there, I went from fifty now to hundred now in like two weeks, and then I went from hundred now to two hundred now in like two weeks. Like I just <laughs> was on a heat like on a heater in some capacity, and I also grinded a bunch in my room. And you're playing same better of, too, right? Same sort of principle, and like I'm just playing better, yeah, and like playing better, having more clarity of preflop stuff, and just kind of navigating post-flop how I think makes sense. And if I had a question about a hand, I would send it to him. He'd give me an answer. Uh, And then from there, I started in August of 2019. And by the end of 2020, sorry, the end of 2019, I was playing 200 zoom and shot taking some 500 full ring on ignition. So I went from 50 now to 500, which was something that I thought was pretty, pretty hard to do. And I wanted to have a goal for myself when I was 21 to have my own role for like two, five live because at the time I thought like two, five live players were like, God, I was like, Oh, like these guys are so good. Like they're playing for like, like one, it was a one K deep game. And like, so like they'd always have like stacks of like reds and greens, which like looked like a lot of money, but like, who are you getting this feedback from that's telling you that these guys are good? <laughs> like myself, like just from like playing one, like basically like I was playing like live one, two when I was starting. So like, I was like be staked for 20 now and playing live one, two. Right. Like seeing people with like with stacks, like a bunch of black chips, like two five. I was like, oh my God, like there's a lot of people at two five. Like it's a lot of money. Like 
sure. nice to me like back in the day i was like oh like that's a lot of money and i can't wait to play two five so to speak and then uh then you grow up and realize it's just red chip hell and uh <laughs> but yeah it was it was a lot of um i just had this like over exaggerated approach to it just because of like my own sort of mental block of like thinking that people yeah. don't play for fun at that stake like it's, it's a, a natural it's a natural thought right because we don't you know when you're young you don't realize that people in different stages of their lives uh can afford to play any stake that they want if they're yeah. successful if they, if they just have yeah, if you just if you just have the money like not everyone's playing under like a bankroll constraint like some people are just like playing for fun and like have like a couple thousand dollars like they're just gonna play if they win they win if they don't like whatever and i didn't really understand that to some extent and I also just had like an over exaggerated realization of like what I thought two five was like. And I guess it was also new because I wasn't really playing for that much, that much money before. So it was just always a new feeling. Sure. And yeah. So I thought they were really good and I played a lot, got to like two. It's really funny because I was playing like, I was shot taking like two five online at like four ring, but I would definitely rather lose online than lose live at the time. Because I just had like that that stigma of like when I would play live, like as soon as I realized that they're not very talented, like they're not the greatest players, I was like, okay, like now like I expect to win a good amount. And like, I guess I had that feeling because winning in an online environment is tougher. So like playing in a live environment, just technically skill-wise, is going to be like a walk in the park. And so like every time I lose like playing live, like it would suck a lot more than online because like in online it just feels like a number that goes up and down but for live it feels like you walk away with something whether you walk away with like a win or a loss it's like oh like the session ended today like i won or lost this and then i kind of grew up we realized it didn't really matter but this, this wasn't that yeah it's a it's a direct this battle is, too like you're looking at the people that you're yeah like you stand them in the face like I'm, I'm throwing chips in the middle i'm trying to forget i'm trying to get them to fold like I guess it's a lot more defeating to lose to someone like when you look at them in the face, I guess is a good way to put it. Like, cause online, like you're staring at a screen, like you could scream fold at your computer all you want. Like you can't really do that live, like live, like you see like the frustration on someone's face, but like they still make the river call. Cause like, they just have to see what you have sort of thing. Like you can yell. Yeah. <laughs> you can yell yeah. at them to fold if you want. It is an option. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how socially acceptable it is, but right. Just not. Yeah. Maybe not the greatest option. Um, but it, yeah, it's still there. Uh, so Nick Howard, you, you move up from 200 to 500 very, very quickly. Once you improve your preflop game and then you have to leave this stake, right? So that you join detox. How did that come about? Uh, Nick basically posted he was doing consults on Twitter and I was pretty interested in the whole detox methodology and how to, I guess have like the back end data to like playing poker. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. I kind of want to see like what playing that kind of style is like, because when I was learning in my other stable, I was kind of learning like a solved approach of how to like maintain balance in spots, how to pick bluff candidates, how to look for good calls like and, and all the stuff that makes sense in a theoretical background, which I didn't give any merit to at the time because I like my friends and I, we just call it brain solver. Like instead of like using like an actual solver, like I would do like what I thought made sense, like using my own brain. They'd be like, Oh, like my brain solver thinks like I'm going to call here. Like I'm going to be naturally more aggressive in this spot. And 
all these sort of different factors that led me to make my decisions because I thought that, oh, why does theory matter when people don't play like this? But the point is it gives me a baseline and I can sort of see how to like where people are falling off track in the sense of if they're bluffing too much, okay, like now like my bluff catchers that are like mixing in theory should just be pure calling and like kind of giving me that baseline of what constitutes as a good hand to take a specific action. And then during detox and having like the backend pool data made it really cool to kind of see like that sort of different strategy of poker. And I played that strategy and I did really well. Let's, let's go back though. So you, you do this consult, which by the way, for the listener, uh, these consults somewhere in a Nick Howard archive is this consult with Landon Tice. These consults manifested as the detox files on this podcast that, uh, you know, you listen to and love and enjoy. So it's kind of funny that like, you know, Nick put this out there, you responded, he has this consult with you. How did, how did Nick, Nick Howard seduce you to the mass database detox methodology? Um, I watched a lot of content from like their YouTube channel when they used to do YouTube stuff. And it kind of stuck with me a lot. And a lot of the mental, mental game things that I guess I didn't, not that I didn't have figured out, but I didn't have figured out sort of appealed to me a lot more than like the amount of, I guess, just playing poker itself. Like I sort of realized there was things in poker that I was lacking that wasn't necessarily, that was a, from a technical standpoint of just, there's always like, I always have room to grow and I always have a lot to improve on, but some mental things as well. And I just, I just really liked the content and I didn't really know how well or not well people were doing in detox but it just seemed like an interesting enough thing to me to sort of take some time and see what that was like and it was a really good experience it seems like it was likely to appeal to you because of this brain solver um joke that you had with your friends right because detox is mass database analysis so this is what people are doing which is a really important thing to know when you play poker online what folks tend to do in specific spots with specific hands because you have your baseline PIO solved information and then you realize where the exploits lie based on emotional human-driven actions. Um, So I can see that that is a, you know, it's a very seductive thing for somebody like yourself to be like, yeah, I want to know, like, Let's look at 100 million hands and how are people actually doing? What are they actually doing in this spot? Because some of the things are fairly apparent. They're fairly observable. And then some of the things are not yeah. observable yeah, until, sure. until you have the data, right? Like you can't tell if somebody's over bluffing 4% on average in this spot until you have this massive sample size. And then you drill it down and you're like, oh, I see, I see it now. But when you're just observing and living it, it's it's kind of hard to tell. Like, yeah, and I mean individually, like I'm never going to play enough hands to like even have enough, like a big enough database myself to sort of, I guess, come to some decent conclusions. Like, you can do some like cool stuff like pre-flop, I guess, if you have like a couple million hands. But post-flop is going to be at least not as proven in the sense of how how proven it could be. Like if you if you find something like to be provable, like a million hands, it's different than doing it at like a hundred million hands sort of idea. Like there's just a bigger sample, so it's less likely to be be false. Yeah, and a lot of these spots, a lot of these nodes you land on don't happen that often. Even in a million hand sample, they happen with 
not enough frequency to gain any sort of clarity on how the population is performing. So yeah, it's a, it's a massive, you know, it's a massive upgrade from theoretical to actual gives you a more clear picture. So you join detox Mm -hmm. and what made you take that trip where you and I met one another? Probably just from not just like wanting to get out of the house, but also kind of joining myself with other people that were playing poker, at least in an online environment. Cause I didn't really have many other friends. Like hard to just find friends that are close to, to me in Florida that also play online poker, even live poker. Like I have a couple friends that I've, I've made from playing live and I still talk to them like relatively every day or so. And yeah, like it was just, it was good timing because the trip was in, the trip was in March and I joined detox in March. So it was like, a, I didn't really have to wait for anything, I guess. I didn't really have any, any like responsibilities. So I was just by myself in my house in Florida. So I was like, okay, like mom, like I'm going to go for a couple of days to Atlanta. And she's like, why? And I was like, well, there's like a, so I joined this stable and there's like a team trip. So I'm going to go. She was like, okay, go ahead. And I sort of was going to do it regardless, but. Like, I mostly booked the flight already because I just didn't want to have any problems. Like, okay, mom, like, I booked a flight. Like, I'm going to go into Atlanta. And she was, if she, she was like, no, I was like, I was like, wait, okay, I already booked the flight. Like, you can't really do anything about it. So, um, you know, you're an adult, right? Yeah. But I also, like, don't, I guess, like, making my mom upset in those kind of ways. So, I understand. And she, and, and she, and she knew, she knew too. That's why she didn't push me on it. She's like, okay, like, yeah, I trust you. Just do, do your thing. And it's the same thing like when I came out to Vegas. I was like, okay, mom, like I'm going to Vegas. And she's like, I don't want you to go to Vegas. I'm like, yeah, that's because you're my mom, but I'm gonna go to Vegas and I'll be back. And she's like, Okay. But it was it sucked for her because I was leaving, but um It's hard, man. That transition yeah. from Yeah, for sure. Being the baby who's taken care of and you know, your mother. I would I would assume that like a lot of mothers it's their identity, right? You, you, you are the thing that she has spent more energy into than anything else in the world. And so you going out on your own, learning how to fly. I mean, that's yeah. a scary thing for mom. Yeah, for sure. And um, it was just a, like fortunate timing. So uh, I went to Atlanta and that was a really fun experience. And Yeah, tell me about it. And um, I was there for a lot of it. But uh, you and I actually talked on YouTube the first time during a Berkey stream, I think it was. I think it was like a program, a lot of stream or something. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I think that I had maybe smoked some wacky tobacco and was hanging out at my computer and just like watching Berkey stream just to support Berkey because I really like Berkey. I think he's one of the good guys in the book of world. And so you and I were chatting about some hand, I can't even remember, uh, some strategic chat that was when you first popped onto my radar and then I walked into the detox house and you know, you were the first guy there. You were, you were awake, you were grinding online poker. I didn't really know anybody at that point. Everybody was asleep. So yeah, that was, that was our first uh, interaction. And how do you think it went hanging out with the detox crew, familiarizing yourself with, you know, some of their crushers, Marinelli, yeah, um, Marinelli, Marinelli, Hey Cindy, those guys. It was really, it was a lot of fun. Like, just sort of being around people that enjoy poker as much as I did, or and just like I guess putting 
names to other people in the group because in the discord group like we talk all the time and like putting faces to the names in there is was a lot of fun and spending time with the group and seeing that there was other people that also wanted to become successful in poker was like it was it was really good for me to see that there's other people out there kind of like me in that way how did it influence your poker career it sort of made me just want to keep grinding more like i saw like there was some people that were I guess in a higher level state in poker than I was at the time. And I don't think I had to necessarily prove anything, but I also wanted to just get to the top of what I thought was possible as as quickly as I could. And doing that was, I guess, involved a lot of hard work and a lot of grinding and a lot of studying and something that I was still, I am still really involved with every day now, but it just I just sort of saw like like what could be from getting from gaining experience and talking to people that were playing like a couple stakes above me and considered like the bet like the fraction of a percentage of like level of skill in, in poker in the poker world like all in the same place was was really helpful like it just sort of allowed me to gain conversations that I wouldn't have had otherwise and most of them being about I guess like mental things. And others just being about how to balance life in some way while trying to also make poker work. And I can't necessarily pinpoint a specific like conversation besides probably like the dinner conversation, um, which is probably like something that like stuck, but just a lot of like even like small conversations. Talk about the dinner conversation. Like even like even like a small like it all kind of sticks. I just don't know like how far back it goes. Like if someone like pinpointed me to a conversation I had with someone, like I would be like, Oh yeah. Like, well, you mentioned like this hour. dinner conversation. Yeah. Tell, tell the listener about it. Like let's describe what we were talking about, what was going on. Sure. So the dinner conversation was probably about a little bit over halfway through the trip. And uh, there was basically a question that was asked to me by Nick about whether I wanted to be a hero that like saves a, a plane from like crashing down or, being like obviously like super hypothetical or being like the the best poker player in the world in like what I thought that meant to me and I like instantly responded with oh like I, I'd easily want to be the best poker player like easily like there's there's no question in my mind because like it's just the drive I had and still the drive I have in some ways to where I just I want to see how good I can be at this game and I want to I want to see what that looks like and I just had a really big hunger for being the best I could be at this because I left school for it. Like I left, I left everything for it. So I wanted to, I want to see what I can do, so to speak. And I just. Why does it stick with you? Why does that, why does that conversation matter to you? Why did it resonate with you? So I guess it also helped me realize that not only like is being the quote unquote best, like an arbitrary thing of like, okay, like it's really hard to quantify that in some ways. Like there's like a, I guess, public consensus or whatever, but it's still not quantifiable. Let me tell you about the public consensus. That shit don't even matter because yeah. most of the public can't even, most of the things, the the best decisions that I've seen made in poker and the coolest plays and like just things that blow me away are things that like almost nobody else in the world even recognizes like they're just not even on the radar right yeah and it also sort of helped me realize that like 
there's more to just life in some ways than like focusing like on like my own personal growth in the sense of like having relationships with other people and having friendships and not just sort of like throwing relationships like out of, out the window just because like I want to be good at something and like it's not fun to like be at the top like by myself like I like I, I want to have friends and I want to have like some like relationships in that way where it's not just me by myself grinding poker because like I knew what that was like when I was playing like lower stakes like the only thing that's gonna be different is like I'm just playing higher stakes yeah like, I'm still gonna be in like a sad mentality and be kind of depressed like being in my room all the time well you never get the different perspectives that are necessary to make the upgrades in your game that you need to make to move up the stakes right by yourself it's hard to see it's hard to know what you don't know i think a lot of times and so having exposure to these guys give you different perspectives as well and help you in poker you know just help you skyrocket through the ranks much faster than you would just on your own and i want to give a lot of credit here to nick uh, because this was something that you know I observed, and maybe I felt it too at the time. Because I feel like uh, I feel like you and I spent a lot of time together in that trip, um, riding in the car and having conversations. And you know, Nick Nick wants to save people from suffering, and I, that's very apparent to me, and I do as well. And when we see somebody that resembles our younger selves, and we see that like if you're going to burn everything on the path to reach poker greatness, that ultimately you may find that you don't love what you've reached at the end of the day and that your life is not fulfilling and the, what you've sacrificed to make those gains wasn't actually worth it. And saving you from that potential reality is something that is important. I believe it is very important to Nick and saving you some of that pain and, so I do want to give him a lot of the credit of spotting that and making an effort to, you know, specifically ask you and maybe plant some ideas for living a more balanced and healthy life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've like nothing, nothing but good, good things to say about like my time in detox. And it was a lot of fun being in that group and having, I guess, the support system that wanted me to get better for, for my own sake. And then, Yeah, up to luck. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. So you are no longer in detox. Yeah. You are no longer in detox. You have, you know, gone away from your mother. You've gone away from the stables. You've gone away from detox. You are out there on your own 
flying, um, your own little bird. Tell me about life post detox. So you moved from Florida to Vegas. Where are you living? Who are, who's, you know, a part of your inner circle, all that jazz. Yeah. So, um, after detox, I sort of was on my own for a little bit and was playing some, some 200 and online, like some zoom and some, some 500 zoom on ignition. And I sort of just reached out, um, to Dan Zach, who mostly plays mixed games now, but had some sort of interest in no limit Oldham things, at least running hands through Sims and kind of seeing like what was going on in some capacity for whatever reason. And somehow like we, we had a conversation and we talked a little bit and I ended up streaming the conversation on Twitch and we were just like running hands through Sims and kind of talking about things of that nature. And from there, um, Chewy sort of saw it. Um, and he sort of, sort of sent me a message and was like, Hey, I'm interested to come on stream at some time and we can just like look over some hands and look over and some things and solves if you want. I was like, Oh yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. So I ended up doing that. And then from there, it just sort of spiraled into him taking some interest in me and kind of leading me towards tournaments in the sense of showing me that tournaments, like there was ROI to be had in tournaments to where I thought like, Oh yeah, like it's hard to win tournaments. And not as hard as one might as one might think if you put in a lot of work. So from there, um, Chewie sort of introduced me to Nick Schulman, who does commentary and plays poker himself. And he was also interested in like the Pio Solver studying streets. And we sort of, I guess I got really lucky to stream a conversation that Dan, I guess, wasn't aware that was being streamed at the time. And did he have any resentment about it being streamed? Did he? No, he was just like, oh, it's kind of weird. Like, I guess he didn't. I'm pretty sure I kind of said it was on stream. But then again, like, I don't think he realized that I was going to stream it. But then again, it only had like maybe like 100 max people watch it. But still, like, I guess not the easiest thing. To like, be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm, like, let's just look at hands on stream. Yeah, we've been streaming this whole conversation, by the way, just for the yeah. record. Yeah, so <laughs> No, we haven't. I'm just Yeah. Messing. Yeah. So and it's like I guess from from there, like the right person saw it and I got really lucky and I guess Chewy in some capacity didn't realize how good I was at the time, just kind of talking with Dan and then I played some hands and like we just sort of kept a I guess like a friendship like after that stream and same with Dan and like well we run hands all the time now off stream. <laughs> but from there, like, I just got really lucky and was learning a lot. And I moved out. I didn't really move to Vegas yet. I'm like in the transition period of moving out here to where. How did you get to live with? So like right now, nobody can see this because it's a Zoom conversation, but your name is Matt Berkey. I yeah. know that your name is not Matt Berkey. You're Landon sure. Tice. How, how are you on Berkey's computer right now? So through Twitter, I guess Matt and I sort of had a lot of interactions from there. One of the first conversations we had was about. I think it was a, I think it was a poker after dark lineup when like it was like a JRB game like with Rob and like Rick Solomon, and I kind of asked him a question on like why people wouldn't like Rick Rick would like throw like sleeper shuttles out for like two or three or four k at some random times in the in the night and I was like why are people not just attacking this and he kind of we had like back and forth about like he was telling me how like most of the pros in the game or other people in the game just didn't have the bankroll to sort of deal with playing a game I was like 
500, 1K, 5K. Like, and just like shot, like throwing stocks in the middle. So like, it's not, it's not easy to play against sort of idea. So from there, I guess it just worked out. And I said, oh yeah, I'll be in Vegas. He's like, oh yeah, you should just st stop by the office and this side or the other, because I didn't really have anywhere I was going to play poker stuff. I just didn't really figure out what I was going to do for, for housing. Like I had an Airbnb with friends and then I had an Airbnb with a different friend of mine. And then after that, I was kind of like, I don't even know if I'm going to be in Vegas still or not. So Matt ended up at the software office warehouse house place because of the virus. They aren't really running any academies. So they just had like extra space here. So I was like, can I stay here? Cause I don't know what's going on yet. And Matt was like, yeah, sure. Just take care of the cat. I was like, okay, <laughs> deal. And uh, so I ended up, I'm ended up at the office for a good time now. And yeah, like just from poker and just, I guess getting really lucky in a lot of ways and knowing Joey um, Ingram through Twitter, I kind of had the same sort of back and forth where I would watch his podcasts all the time when I was grinding micro, like micro stakes. And I was like, just, I remember like one podcast he did with Jason Kuhn when Jason Kuhn was just like, yeah, I just grinded a lot. I studied really hard and I just kind of kept being after it. And I kept hearing that from many different people through listening to his podcast back in the day <clears throat> where I was like, Oh, like the big secret is just to work really hard and like have the right people around you and like try to like set that up for yourself while also like just loving the game. And that's sort of the approach I've taken and I've it's gone, gone really far with it. And yeah, it's a simple thing things. to say, simple yeah. thing to say, harder thing to execute in practice. Yeah. And um, like, I was just really lucky to be at a time in my life when I didn't have any other prereq requisite things that I had to do in the sense of forced to get a degree or forced to like, like have a family or like have a relationship in some way. Like I generally could just spend all of my time focusing on poker. And I ended up taking advantage of that by just not really scaling through the stakes necessarily quickly at the start, but just sort of like hammering down stuff that I needed to learn at smaller stakes. So when I made a mistake at 20 now, I didn't make the mistake at 200. So like I mitigated the amount of loss that I accrued over a small amount of time just from playing smaller stakes. Like if you could play four and L for like a decent bit and like become very good and like not just very good by beating four and L, but just very good technically, like you're going to save yourself a lot of money from making those mistakes at higher buying levels. And then you just kind of take what you've learned there. And like a hundred big blinds is always a hundred big blinds. It doesn't matter what the, the dollar amount is. Oh, it matters. <laughs> it matters the pressure and the stakes yeah. they the, the pressure is what matters right like when you're you know you said you you were playing 20 and l and moving up to 50 and l or 100 and l right i can say categorically those games are not going to be that different from one another right yeah like the the regs and the fish and like there's going to be plenty of plenty of fish the regs are not going to be super strong at either stake so there's not a massive difference the only difference is the monetary difference right it's the yeah pressure that you feel when you know you had your 1k losing day and it felt like hell on earth and yeah. you know you didn't play for like three days and you were very depressed you know that's a different kind of pressure because you were playing a bigger stake and so that's sort of that's a thing that folks just have to inevitably cope with that yeah. pressure rising and the stakes rising and like you just get in there and you battle and eventually you learn how to cope where you know, a four or five K day just feels kind of normal, right? 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it feels now. Like, it's unfortunate to lose in some days when, like, especially if I – especially when I know that I didn't play too well because that's not really – that's more of a me thing in the sense of I knew I could improve and I know I could play, I guess, better in some spots, especially looking back and be like, okay, like – but then again, like, I realized, like, I'm human. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and I'm going to be okay because I remember playing these – higher stakes live games which we can talk about in a little bit and then um going on like a little bit of a downswing and by a little bit i mean like the biggest downswing of my entire life in like dollar amount but i just remember having a conversation with chewy where he was just like how about instead of worrying about how much money you're stuck in this small sense just know that you're putting the work in every day i believe in your skill everyone else in the group believes in you like i know you believe in you just just trust that you're doing the right things to make it all work out in the end. And then after that conversation, it kind of gave me a lot more clarity because it's not every day. Like it's not only like you're losing, I guess, someone money to some capacity because I ended up being on stake with you and a couple others. And I'm doing that now to where he didn't just be like, Oh yeah. Like we're worried about the money back, but he's worried about, yeah. Like we trust you. Like you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Just, just trust in your process, trust in your, and you're studying and running sims every day, trust in putting in volume every day. And that's going to be more valuable to you and us as like a collective more than you winning or losing the money whenever you do. Because at the end of the day, like the graph's going to keep going up if you just keep, keep with it. Absolutely. And, you know, you're, you've got an anchor, right? Somebody who you know is world-class, who's, again, one of the all-time crushers in Chewy who says, I trust you, right? Like, yeah. I, I trust you. I believe your game is strong and keep doing what you're doing because at the end of the day, if your recovery improves, you're able to put in more hours. And if you're a favorite in the game and you're doing the right thing and you're putting in hours, the graph will go up. Yeah. And that's only good for you and that's only good for Chewy, right? Yeah, and like, and it, it came more from like just like an interpersonal approach versus like a, oh yeah like you're gonna make the money back. It's more of like like you don't have to prove to us that you have to make money. Like, you don't you don't have to prove yourself to us. Like you don't have to prove how good you are. Like we know you put in the work. We know you you spend a lot of time and countless hours running sims by yourself when you have a losing session or when you break a tournament like you're instantly trying to like look at the hands you've played before the, the spot that I ended up losing. Like, like I'm always putting in some work somewhere to where it's like, I'm not just accepting what just happened, at least in a, in a negative sense and always trying to be better than yesterday, I guess is a good way to put it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I feel a number of things right right now. I am, for some reason, like, dude, my paw, like, I'm sweating. I'm like, I'm feeling a little bit nauseous. I don't know why. Just like, I'm really hot. It's like a really hot day. What I would like to do, if it's okay with you, is to potentially wrap up today and then have you back for another, another one, a part two. Yeah, that's it. What do you think? We're, yeah, we're already an hour and a half in and we've only covered like one question and that's, uh, talking about your journey. So I would like to ask you all the other questions that I do, and you can talk about, you know, the higher stakes and all that. Um, yeah. 
You cool with that? Yeah, sure. Cool, man. Yeah. It makes me very happy to know that you got intelligent, caring human beings looking after you, um, facilitate, you know, helping you, helping you grow, helping you navigate the poker world, because this can be a fairly brutal landscape. And lots of folks have kind of gone missing in the desert, never to be seen again in their poker career. And, you know, that's always a possibility for young guys who are trying to break through and break into this world. And, you know, it, it makes me happy knowing that, you know, you, you have a great supporting cast around you and Berkey and Chewy and Nick Shulman and, you know, yeah. all of these guys that are, that will do nothing but positive um, in the long yeah. run as, as related to your poker career. And so I'm going to ask you one more question and then we're going to go on break and going to have you back for a round two conversation where we tackle some of the more standard questions that I ask on this show. Um, and so this question that we're going to end on, very simple, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find more about you on the World Wide Web? Uh, I mostly use Twitter a lot. Um, I use Twitter a bunch and I write blogs on Substack where I've kind of taken a break for a couple months just because of a lot of different things in the sense of, I guess, moving and transitioning to Vegas as, and well, as well as like just really enjoying life at the moment. And I normally write when like negative things happen, like not negative in the sense of something negative happened, but negative in the sense of I want to get something off my chest. Like if I played a session pretty poorly, I'd be like, okay, like I want to write about it. Or if I go on a downswing for some reason, I want to write about it. But like right now, like, I guess I don't really have that impetus to sort of find something to write about, which is a good and a bad thing. Cause I, people have told me all the time, like how much like they love the blog posts because of it, just sort of like an authentic look on my sort of journey from at the time was going to be like a grind from like mid stakes to high stakes. But I guess now playing like, 2k now 5k now online like shot taking that and playing higher stakes live i guess i'm at high stakes but i definitely i'm not going to stop writing it's just a matter of finding the time to do so and probably write about some tournament scores that i've had and some recent successes and i guess finding finding a good group of friends that sort of helped me become better but yeah the way that you framed it there I, I hope that you you never write a blog post again i guess just uh keep living the dream um living a joy filled life and doing the work and grinding have no doubt at you know the level of success you're going to reach because you've done a lot of things very 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 well that um is going to serve you over the long term and a lot of wise decisions from somebody who's, you know, at an, at an age that uh, wisdom is sometimes a hard commodity to come by, at least in my experience. And I'm not, not saying you got it all figured out. I know I that definitely don't. we all have our, we all have our things and our, our areas to grow, but from a poker sense, you've done much better than the average bear as far as surrounding yourself with the right people and your approach to the game. And, yeah. um, Super pumped to have you back for a round two in the very near future, man. Take care of yourself. Stay safe in Vegas. Keep crushing the big games. Do my best, you know. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.